The following message is from Life Source Christian Church MP3 Audio Lounge. More information about Life Source is available at lifesource.org.au. That's great. Thank you very much. I was wondering who he was talking about, all these big things he's saying. What a joy for us, for Helen and I and Matt and Priscilla to be with you today. Matt's part of our team in Liberty for the Nations and Priscilla's a music teacher and um, they work together with us. Our other son Jonathan works with us managing all the Vanuatu work. So we're glad to be here. It's, it's just lovely to see you. We've been looking forward to this. It was nearly one year ago when Pastor John called me about coming and um, my heart jumped a few beats. I went back to we were overseas and I went, found Helen and I said, guess what's happened? Pastor John Giuliano has invited us to come to their church in Sydney. And uh, it, it really was immediately a joy for me to think about that. And uh, it's a joy for us to be here today. Thank you so much for that. I was in Victoria about 10 years ago and I was visiting a couple. He's a concreter and his wife helps in a school and Unknown to me, he'd been collecting money for some time to help us to build a new children's home in the Philippines and he'd been working extra days. He'd worked every Saturday for, for much of a year to get extra money. I didn't know anything about this and we're sitting and talking together and he went into his room and he brought back an envelope and it had $5,000 of brand new $100 notes in it. And his wife looked at it and I looked at it and <laughs> he hadn't even told his wife why he'd been working so many Saturdays. And he put it on the table and said, I've been working towards that new children's home in the Philippines. And we put it on the table and we put our hands on it and we started to pray. And uh, it's in the Kiwa Valley in Victoria where we were. And as we started to pray, a large bird came and landed right by the window on the railing of the veranda and started to sing and that bird did not stop singing the whole time we prayed and the more we prayed the more that bird sang it had never been in his veranda before none of us had ever heard a song like that before by the end of our praying we were all in such tears at the sense that God sent his joy and his song into what this young man had done his wife and his little daughter and I, we were just crying and we, we just thanked God for that beautiful gift which empowered us to go and help people and, and still helping them through that gift. And it just reminded me what generosity does and how it puts legs onto the things that you dream of doing. And they may be simple dreams, but the best of all dreams are that just like Jesus, we can touch people one at a time. I'm reminded in the Bible how many times the, the incredible miracles that still impact us now 2,000 years later were just Jesus with one person. He always stopped for one person. And no matter how, how large or how big scale things become, that's still what it's about. It's all about that and that um, heart of Jesus to touch one person at a time. My wife Helen was brought up in Papua New Guinea and her parents were missionary aviation fellowship pilots, pioneering um, uh, many new airstrips into incredibly remote communities. And um, so she has a big background in missions. 
I don't necessarily have that. I have a background in church planting. My great-grandfather and great-grandmother pioneered the Salvation Army in Victoria and um, started the very first Salvation Army store on the planet. And they used to call it self-denial stores. I'm glad they changed the name. You know, <laughs> Now you can say, I'm going down the Salvos, but back then, I'm going down the self-denial store. I don't think that would work in 21st century uh, society. And my grandfather was a pioneer with the um, CRC Pentecostal churches in Victoria. And, and my father, pioneer, mainly with Assemblies of God around Victoria. And um, so from when I was 16, I taught myself to play guitar and went out and with Dad and we'd go into towns. I'd play the guitar and lead the singing and we'd start new little towns all over the northeast of Victoria, which was a great background for me. Went to Bible school, met my wife, Commonwealth Bridal College. Amen, Pastor John. Same college. And uh, went there, found a bride, got married, went into ministry. And uh, from when I was only uh, 24, I started the work of church planting through churches and um, Helen working with me. And we've been out and planted churches here and there. And uh, that sort of grew. And that's always what I've known, has been planting new things. I've never pastored a church that uh, was already existing. Um, and I've never really had a lot of time in churches that were already existing, but mainly my work's been in, in new situations, taking the gospel out to new, new communities. And that um, spread into the world, and it happened with a vision. So I, I'm very much a person who needs the Holy Spirit to speak loud to me, um, I need him to speak in ways that I know that it's him. And I do believe in the promise that Jesus said, when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. He'll not speak of himself, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he'll show you things to come. And I realised that at a young age, I didn't really know his voice very well because there's always plenty of voices, aren't there? You know, there's the voice of your own reason. And there's sometimes even the voice of the devil. Um, and the funny thing is we get confused which one we're listening to. So I learned very early that the walking with the Spirit is a relationship. We're called into the communion of the Holy Spirit, the grace of our Lord Jesus, the love of the Father, the communion of the Holy Spirit. Be with you all. It's something we're all invited into. And so when I was 18, before going to Bible school, I used to go out of a night time. I had two years of my life where my, mid my appointment with God daily was midnight. We lived on a property in the Kiwa Valley in Victoria and I'd go out into the fields. We had a, a property there and just spend my couple of hours alone with God. I'd look up in the stars and think about the promises that he gave to people like Abraham and promised him great things. And I, I started to believe those promises, not so much. And what Pastor John said before is really profound, that faith is about what you don't have, but you believe in God for. I didn't have anything to to bank on I just started to believe God's promises as a young man went off to college and started our work and since then the Lord started to open up doors in other nations which is what Helen and I had in our hearts from before we got married but God spoke to us again in very clear ways and we'd been planting churches in the Hunter Valley in New, in New South Wales here and uh, in one church where we'd had a, a really great move of God one Sunday night, suddenly a flag just went like that, from this side to that, just two seconds. I knew every detail of that flag from two seconds. 
I knew it for months afterward and couldn't find the flag because it was 1987 and didn't have Google. <laughs> Just had old encyclopedias hanging around. Anyway, about three months later, I got a phone call inviting me, please come to Vanuatu tomorrow. Uh, it was a miracle. I had no passport, I had <laughs> no birth certificate. Uh, in two hours, I had everything and a ticket. And uh, next day, I found myself standing in a country that I didn't even know existed. And um, from there, something just took off. And I was standing in the airport in, in Port Vila in Vanuatu in, in August 1987. And, and I thought, where on earth am I? And um, I'm only a young man, you see. I was only about nine at the time. No, I wasn't. <laughs> 1987, I was whatever I was. And um, so then um, I heard an aeroplane pass the window of this tiny little airport, which was smaller than this room. You know, and uh, I turned around to see the plane and the flag of Vanuatu was on the side of the plane. Exactly the flag that I'd seen three months before. Every detail, every part of colour. And something, just everything, electricity went through me. I knew that it was God who'd called us. And so from that time, um, we've been working non-stop in Vanuatu since 1987. And that's been a whole process of planting a new organisation and uh, how we decided to do word and deed ministry, both planting churches but also helping communities, helping in time of need. We kept an incredibly simple uh, way that we're going to go about this and it's still very, very simple the way we go about this. But long-term relationships are a great key in how you can do God's work. One of the great wisdoms that I've heard from John in this last couple of days is all about staying for the period of time that it takes to do the thing that God told you to do. As a church here, you've got this strength. You know, you don't have a change of leadership every couple of years. You've got strong, visionary leadership that stays the course and will stay the course. And what you can achieve through time uh, is very, very powerful. So that grew into other things. We had another prophet who prayed over us, you know, didn't know us at all. And I just, Helen and I, we'd been working on something for some years. We'd really been believing and watching things unfolding in the unravelling of the Soviet Union. And, uh, you know, we'd studied the people who used to go and take Bibles into the Eastern European countries and just had such a heart to someday touch those places. And, and we just prayed and believed God opened a door for us to travel through Hungary and Romania, Bulgaria. Didn't have any money at all. And a friend of ours... We didn't know him, wasn't in our church or anything. They sold a property and they decided to tithe the property money to Helen and me because they felt God spoke to them. It was exactly enough money to buy our tickets. So I went down to Newcastle. I was pioneering a work in Port Macquarie at the time. We were living in Port Macquarie. Went to Newcastle and um, bought the tickets. I had them in my jacket. And a prophet was there in the, in the city called John Jacks. And John Jacks was at, at a church in Newcastle. I was running late. I was doing regional assemblies of God things at the time. Came in late and he just kept looking at me. When a prophet looks at you all the time, you get really nervous. <laughs> and, uh, and I mean, he's a really a strong prophetic voice. And um, I was sitting right at the back because I'd come in about half an hour late. And finally, he kept looking at me. And then he said, the man up the back. Um, I thought, I hope there's somebody behind me. Because he was pointing straight at me. Come forward and... When a prophet says that, you just make sure everything's right in your life. You know, you repent of anything that may be... A... <laughs> in, in five seconds, it's amazing. You can just get everything right with God. 
You don't want anything exposed. You just, but, no, but no joking, I stood up and suddenly just flags, flags, flags. And I was like walking into the Olympic Games through flags. And, and he said, nations, I started walking forward and he started prophesying even when I was coming forward. He said, I see nations. I see you and your wife travelling to countries like Hungary and Romania and Bulgaria. And I had the tickets in my jacket right here for that very trip. And so I called Helen that night and we started Liberty for the Nations that, that's, that same night we decided to start. I believe that God speaks things and I believe that God is specific. I believe in his voice. And each one of us has a very exciting journey in front of us. Look at this, what Jesus did from Matthew chapter 9. I'm looking for the countdown clock. Oh, that's great. That's plenty of time. That's 22 minutes and 21 seconds. That's wonderful. Thank you. Better than those 17-minute churches. <laughs> then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing every sickness, every disease among the people. That must have been so exciting. Yeah. When he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion. Let's just stop on that bit. When he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them. Because they were weary and scattered, like sheep having no shepherd. Here's the first picture that his words draw for us here. Like sheep having no shepherd. That's a beautiful picture to see in our own society in Australia. Sometimes you can, you know, you can sort of look in judgment. You see the young people, the way they're going, the way they entertain themselves, the things they do to their bodies. And honestly, everything in me desperately wants to see them as Jesus saw them. Actually, that's exactly who they are. They are sheep who don't have a shepherd. And this world is no shepherd to anybody. It doesn't shepherd anybody. It calls them into all the wrong things he was moved with compassion because they were weary scattered like sheep having no shepherd and he said to his disciples he draws another picture the harvest truly is plentiful but the laborers are few therefore pray the lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest now where jesus was ministering here they had every bit of structure that was necessary for them you know, they had sort of a societal structure. They had political structure. They had their sort of civil structure. They had cities and towns. So they were organised into groups of people. They had social structure. They even had religious structure. They had their, their synagogues and they had their places of worship. But it, with all of that provided for them, looking into them as an individual, they didn't have a shepherd. And that was the tragic thing of what Jesus saw. Not just the needs that they had but the the root to the problem is they had no shepherd and that is still the need that's still the heart of God what God sees it's what he calls into our hearts about that this world hasn't got any shepherd outside of Christ and they don't know Christ so these two pictures become important for us the way Jesus stopped for the one person all the time because that's a person who didn't have a shepherd and he became their shepherd. And he showed them the way, the truth, the life. Yeah. So being a pioneer at heart, I've always tended to 
Helen and I have always found ourselves starting new things, always starting things. And so one of the things about prophecy and prophetic direction, as God gives us through his Holy Spirit, is that prophecy has the power to set things in motion. It can set tremendous things in motion. When the Holy Spirit is at work in our lives, expect things to get set in motion by the Holy Spirit. There's words in the New Testament about the Holy Spirit coming and touching us which are really, really powerful. Like on the day of Pentecost, Pentecost Sunday this year, we'll be in Poland and and churches from a a large city are all coming together for us to preach a a big Pentecost Sunday in Poland. But on the day of Pentecost, um, do you know that in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit filled twice. He actually did two things. The first in filling, it says, and, and when they were all assembled in one place, the Holy Spirit came and filled the whole house where they were met together. He filled the environment. He did. And it uses, where it, the word it uses there for when he filled that house, the word pleru, means it was crammed full so tight. It's the same word used when the disciples hadn't caught any fish and Jesus said, throw the nets on the other side of the boat. And when their nets were so filled with fish, it was breaking the nets. It says, and their nets were filled, pleru. It's the exact meaning of the word. It's like a net full of fish. Have you ever seen them when they bring the big boats come in and the net is full of fish? There's no room for anything else. And that's what the environment was like when the Holy Spirit fell. Pleru, he fell on the whole and filled the whole house where they were gathered. And then it says, and they were all filled. And it used a different word, pletho. And the word pletho doesn't mean full like like a fishnet. It's actually a storehouse packed to capacity, which that has a different sense of here now, the people were filled with something which was like resource. It, It actually has another meaning, which means fully furnished, which means when we've got the Holy Spirit at work around us, he just packs the environment with his presence. But when he fills us as an individual... He packs out our life with everything we need for what, he's, for what situation he's placed us in. Do you remember John uh, Cessnock used to have a... still has a prison there. Back in those years when we were young fellows and did any crazy thing, any door that was open, I used to go into the prisons and uh, had weekly meetings in Maitland Jail and Cessnock Jail. And uh, I met a man there who'd been caught with drugs, an American guy called Richard, and uh, Richard Brooks was his name, came to the Lord, got baptised there in the jail, did his Bible school in Cessnock Jail, became the leader of my Tuesday night prayer meeting in the prison. We had people getting saved and baptised and coming to Christ in Cessnock Jail. And then um, he'd come from America with his bags loaded with cocaine, unfortunately. So all he ever saw of Australia was Sydney Airport, <laughs> a couple of courthouses <laughs> and Cessnock Jail. He had a really, a really great tour of Australia. But anyway, it probably was the best place for him because that's where he found the Lord got saved, went on great for God and suddenly he was gone, deported and sent away. And you never know what happens by sowing little seeds. Somebody once said, anyone can count the number of seeds in an apple but only God knows the number of apples in a seed. And I think this is a very powerful saying. 
Because I've just come to understand our job is to sow seed. Our job is to sow things living by the power of the Spirit given to us from God. Sow that seed. Sow it into people's lives. Many years after, first trip into Romania, uh, a person from YWAM said, I know a person in Romania and uh, he's doing a wonderful work with children since the Ceausescu thing and all the stuff that went on there, terrible, terrible, terrible things. He's planted a great church. He said, all I've got is a name and a phone number. We said, that's enough. What city? They said, Brasov. So we were travelling through, came to the city of Brasov couldn't speak any Romanian, I didn't have any money, the place was empty of money and uh, it was straight after the fall of communism there. And so called this number, this American voice comes on, hello? And I said, oh hello, is that Richard? Yep, yep, it's Richard. And I said, oh, <clears throat> you don't know me, I'm from Australia. And uh, we're coming through and we're ministering through, we're heading through to Bulgaria and he says, Australia, hey? I said, yeah. What part? I said, oh, Hunter Valley, Newcastle. Oh, do you know Steve Blake? <laughs> yeah, I know that fella. It's Richard, Steve. It was the same guy. Great church, great ministry to orphans. A beautiful uh, Romanian wife doing an awesome work. He's now the leading evangelist of the Potter's House movement in the United States of America. You don't know what happens. And a person doesn't have to become a raging evangelist or plant a church on the other side of the world, of course, to be a successful born-again experience. But it just shows how when you plant things... I like to think that God always knows the power of a seed that I sow. I don't know what it will produce. I do know that when we pass back through where we've been planting and go through pl places like Belarus and, and see the places where we sowed new churches and planted churches... I do love to go back and see what came of that little seed, how many great trees have been planted. Sometimes we're planting harvests that look like a field of wheat and sometimes you're planting that looks like a mighty tree and you realise, I've planted a tree here, this is something that's just going to be planted and just keep producing over and over. My seed that I sowed might have started it but that thing's going to start to produce its own seed in a, in a number way beyond what I could do. And I see in this story of Jesus going from town to town, healing people, moved with compassion for them, calling people to be labourers out into the harvest field. I see that there's the three ingredients of this really, which are so powerful, is the compassion and the commission and the coming of the kingdom of God. And this is what we're called into. Compassion is a very powerful motivating force. As we've ministered through nations... I remember when we first went to Belarus, I'd had such a heart to go to Belarus because when the Chernobyl disaster, it sounds like I'm speaking history and most of you would have been in kindergarten when these things happened, of course, but some of you were in high school. Then Chernobyl happened, which is a massive uh, nuclear power station in Ukraine, right on the border of Belarus. And the wind was blowing from the south. And when this explosion happened in the power station all the radioactive stuff blew straight over the nation of Belarus it was the most impacted place and so we got together and one of the men in my church I didn't know that he was actually Belarusian I thought he was Russian he was Belarusian he, he had an uncle who's a doctor in Belarus so the wheels started turning and we packed together 240 kilograms of tablets for everything they needed and we headed over with no church contacts only a doctor 
who was an atheist who was working in some hospitals. So we packed up all these uh, boxes and boxes and boxes of tablets and got all the permissions and all the rest of them. Went to Belarus because lots of people were dying and no, no medications. And went there and helped them. And suddenly churches started to contact us. And, and uh, from that time, we were able to go from village to village and go back repeatedly again and again back into Belarus and help with church planting. And then you could buy for 3,000 US dollars, you could buy pieces of land because the government didn't want all these new churches. So they made a law that said if they don't have land, you can't, they can't have a church. So we helped them get land. Not only us, a lot of ministries did it. Then they decided, well, if they weren't registered before the Soviet era, they can't be registered anymore. And a little old couple from a village in the back blocks of Belarus came forward with the original document from 1880-something that registered the um, churches, the Pentecostal churches of Belarus in 1880-something. So they couldn't stop registering them because (laughs) their president had got up to try to stop it and he said, unless it was registered before the communist era, they cannot be registered now. So it was authenticated by by the lawyers and uh, so... Off they went and now we could help them get buildings. And now there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of churches all through Belarus. Some of them now, the largest one I've preached in in Belarus is 5,000 members. And they don't count the children. In fact, they don't count people until they turn 21. So you can imagine what it's like. And some of the... But I love the little villages too. I love the one-by-one things that happen. I do remember some of the villages where I've preached there. One village called Nova Paleski which actually means like new palace. There's no palace about it. It was a very, very average little village, Nova Paleski. And I went in there and preached, and Helen didn't come on some of these trips. It was fairly, fairly rugged. And um, had a little gathering of people, about 50 people, and I noticed every single person in the room wore glasses, and some of them were like the the bottom of Coke bottles, you know, they were... And so by the end of that meeting, nobody was wearing glasses, only me. And I'm only not wearing glasses today because I've had a bit of work on my eyes. I was the only one with glasses on. And I went back a year later and they still weren't wearing glasses. And I noticed how miracles started to become the key, one of the keys that would attract people exactly like with Jesus. And, um, and miracles have been at work and prophetic things have been at work in our ministry. But um, this empowering of the Holy Spirit to move with compassion and power has been such a joy. One place where I preached in the city of Brest, a young girl was there, about 18 years old. She had, hadn't been born blind, but she had gone blind. And her father was a high-ranking person in the Communist Party. Large, a very, very large church in the city of Brest. It's right on the border of Poland. Anyway, after the service, um, God healed her. And I still remember there was a clock, and gee, this one clock, this, this clock winds down very fast. <laughs> anyway... She ran around, she could see the clock, she was telling the time, she was meeting everybody and news of that miracle spread and so it just made the work of evangelism and villages just so much accelerated because of that. Um, We preach the gospel in countries like Cyprus, I'm going to flick through this because I'm down to seven and a half minutes. Uh, Cyprus, we've been involved mainly with uh, Filipino and Sri Lankan communities around Cyprus planting churches. And Nigeria, of course, well everyone knows Nigeria, it's now... Uh, nearly one in four African is a Nigerian. 
over 200 million Nigerians now in a continent of about 850 million. So almost one in four African is a Nigerian. Tremendous things happening in the spirit in Nigeria involved with church planting there. We also, exactly like Pastor John, um, have been very involved in training leaders um, and that's been particularly places like Egypt. Egypt is a fascinating country. In Egypt, uh, we were there during the governance of the Islamic Brotherhood and it was the most tragic, tragic place to be and uh, very dangerous. The amount of money we had to spend on security for our meetings was bigger than any other thing that we had to spend money on. And um, just the miracles again, there was uh, a a big meeting right in the middle of Alexandria that we had in a hall like this. And uh, people came with many, many knees and we just prayed and prayed, but there was a curfew at 10 o'clock. And uh, so we were getting right down to the wire of 10 o'clock. I was absolutely exhausted and we had armed guards at the doors and it was a small foyer, like that bit of foyer there. Finished and we'd seen so many great things and often happens that somebody waits to get some extra. So there's a lady out with, with her daughter in the foyer and we were getting sort of pushed out to go because of the, the curfew. And um, she met us in the foyer, had her daughter with her, and her eyes were two white marbles. There was nothing, it was just like two white marbles. And I was totally exhausted, I felt like I had nothing in me but the compassion for this young girl. And um, I just didn't have anything in the tank at all, but just asked her to close her eyes. And I laid my hands on her eyes and, and um, prayed for her. And she opened her eyes and two beautiful brown eyes looked back at me. And just in the most simple, simple way, her life was changed forever. I think that we need to all know the voice of the Holy Spirit. Get to know him. Develop a relationship with him. I found now that if I'm doing church planning, going into new communities, I just spend time with him. I start to see things. One of the great miracles we've seen in Poland, I was praying before a meeting in a new, new church we helped in the planting over in the western side of Poland. and Took us into a town where they planted a new work. Only a small thing, about 50 people. And before it, I saw a lady sitting in an exact spot with exactly her clothes. And I saw that her neck was very swollen and I knew she had thyroid cancer. So I had a friend with me, uh, John Kolosinski. You might know John Kolosinski from Newcastle. I said to John, there's going to be a woman there tonight with thyroid cancer. God's going to heal her. So we got to the meeting and I'd been sitting at the front. And I didn't look around and see who came, but they got me to come up and preach. And I came up and looked and there she was exactly where I'd seen her. So I preached and when I finished, I said, now the lady here with the thyroid cancer, and she got a stunned look on her face and she stood up and she started to come forward and she got nearly to where I was and I just put up my hand as if to pray for her and suddenly, bang, she fell down backwards, which is totally unusual in in this society. Anyway, we knelt down next to her and prayed over her and, and she was dramatically healed. The thyroid cancer had actually become so bad that it, that it had found its way right to the spinal column and, there was, and it was inoperable. And after x-rays, I know her pastor very well, um, found that there was no cancer left in her body. So the, 
the well, praise God for that. But what it does, what it does to go with love and compassion, with the power of God, helps communities to break open. Three minutes, ten seconds. And I didn't get to... I knew this would happen. Jesus said, Let your light so shine before all men they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So when we've seen some disasters in recent times, and this is where your church really just... Pastor John was one of the very first people to call me when the big cyclone hit Vanuatu. What can we do to help? I said, give money. <laughs> not really. Not, not blunt like that, but that's what I meant. <laughs> he said, we're here to do whatever you need, Steve. And, and sure enough, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful giving from you. Also sent a wonderful lady called Emma. You might see her in this slide. There's Emma there with her purple top, packing boxes. And I'm not talking about that she only packed those couple of boxes in the picture, whenever, wherever it is. I'm talking about shipping container loads of clothes that we gave out and Emma was there and someone else from your church too. Nathaniel was, isn't it? Nathaniel around? Is Emma around? Oh, they're 11 o'clockers. They're sleeper inners. <laughs> so uh, through that, that disaster in Vanuatu, we were, we've been able to keep going now for 12 months. It was 13th of March when that happened with... We've done 1,080 new roof jobs. We've done um, 200 homes. Did 1,000 temporary um, tarpaulin homes. Um, hundreds of thousands of meals we've done. Families we're still looking after. It was the same also for us uh, in the Philippines. There's a little picture here. And this is what I probably need to finish on. Um, it's got Bulgaria in it, working with the Turkish and the gypsies in Bulgaria. The Philippines had a massive, massive cyclone. It was um, called Cyclone Yolanda, Hurricane Yolanda. And uh, there we were able to do about 600, re-roof about 600 homes and build 300 new homes. And many of them were brand new concrete block homes. We started our own concrete block making factory there. And, and even uh, between this year, we, we had another one went through another place where we were minister and we've just done another 74 homes. So in the last um, less than two years, we've actually um, put a new roof over 2,200 families. But the family in this picture that says Philippines, oh, I'm seeing it at the back. Oh, oh, I get it. I'm not very, yeah. Um, I'm praying with a couple there in a little village called San Antonio in southern Samar in the Philippines, right where Yolanda's eye went through. And the whole communities were just totally smashed. Concrete block houses were smashed to pieces. They'd lost all their three children. And um, she hadn't spoken for three months. And um, we built them a beautiful new concrete block home, all treated pine roof trusses. We sent thousands of them from Australia, thousands of sheets of iron and rebuilt homes. And... Um, and uh, I went to see them after they got their new little house and she was talking again and told me she was expecting a new baby. And she said, Pastor, every morning when I wake up and I look up at my roof of my house, I thank God for what he's done for us. And I realised that uh, these are gifts that keep on giving. They're giving every day. They're a gift that just keeps on giving and giving and giving and giving in Jesus' name. And we've actually had hundreds and hundreds of families have come to Christ. Because Jesus said, let your light shine before men that they may see your good works, glorify your Father who is in heaven. 
Turkey. We've done, as John said, ministry in Turkey. We're actually about to plant our second church in the Chinakale province. One is right by Gallipoli and it's flourishing. We've got seven, na- seven nations in that church now. And uh, a new church we're planting from there. See what happens at harvest time when you sow the next picture. Those, uh, those meetings in Turkey, we took concerts through Turkey. Our afternoon concerts, we were getting 1,000 people on the streets of Turkey. Night concerts, 1,500 people, all Muslims, all celebrating, all rejoicing, all hearing about Jesus. This was in Vanuatu last September. We had 14,000 people came to Christ, the largest gatherings ever in the history of the nation. We helped them, we loved them, we blessed them, we built for them, we fed them. We made something visible for them. We made something visible for them because the Bible says that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. We're doing this again this year, 2016, with Pastor Tim Hall coming over with us and we're believing for an even greater harvest of souls. Last thing, it's just hit zero and I want to finish with this. Pastor John said, everyone goes over. So I took that as an invitation. <laughs> Going back to when I was in college, I had, a, I had a vision in Bible college when I was praying. And it helped me enormously for my whole life, even up till today. All I saw was a little sickle, a little instrument for cutting the harvest, and a hand. And the hand was on the sickle. Hello. I know our sister here, you were, in, you were in Vanuatu. Yeah, what's your name? Lee, that's right, hello Lee. Well, God bless you, Lee came too. Good on you, Lee. I just saw you. I knew some other people had gone from this church and Lee was one and Nathaniel and Emma. Fantastic. Thank you for what you did. And I saw a sickle and a hand. I was only young, I, was tw- I turned 21 in Bible school. But the handle of this sickle was just a rough piece of timber, like a fence, you know, like a fence timber, all splinters and rough and square. And the hand's wanting to use this sickle, but it's so uncomfortable. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, see this sickle, Steve. This is you in my hands and you're really uncomfortable. But I felt really encouraged because it wasn't the end of the story. The sickle never left his hand and he never threw it away. He started to shape it so that it would become comfortable for him to use. And I watched the process of cutting and sanding and cutting and sanding until the Lord spoke to me and said, the time will come in harvest when I will reach for you and use you. Every one of us here has sometimes inadequacies, feelings that somebody could do it better. There's a much better handle than me, Lord. There's people that I'm sure you would much rather use than me. And he just delights in taking the rough handle people and shaping them for the purpose that he's got. And my life has been a journey of shaping it to fit in God's hand. So many times I've wanted God to do you know, things what I wanted and all I get is really a bit of sandpaper on me to get me right. It's still happening. Uh, so <laughs> I promise you, he's still at work 
But more and more I sense him reaching for me, using me, taking me in his hands. I want to say to you in your inadequacies, in your feelings of who am I in the whole process, that God doesn't throw you aside even if you've been uncomfortable for him to use. He doesn't throw you aside when you missed an opportunity. He doesn't cast you off when you feel you failed him and you weren't good enough and someone else should have done the job. He doesn't throw you aside and pick up another. He keeps you in his hand and shapes you and uses you to his glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, may we all be used by you in your purpose. We ask you to shape us by your loving hand. We want to be comfortable in your hands, Lord, available to you. We ask for you, Lord, each one of us, Shape us to be an instrument in your hands. We give you permission to start to cut away and sand away until you found us to be beautiful in your hands. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for listening to this message from Life Source Christian Church MP3 Audio Lounge. We invite you to visit us online at lifesource.org.au to find out more about our church and to also access other free resources.